Welcome to Mud Season, a podcast that cuts through the mud, brought to you by the Center for Research on Vermont, uncovering true stories from the Vermont Laboratory. I'm your producer, Eliza Giles. Today's episode features a live recording of a panel discussion by Angela Evansy and Erica Heilman. Angela Evansy is VPR's managing editor for podcasts and the host of VPR's people-powered journalism podcast, Brave Little State. Erica Heilman produces Rumble Strip Vermont, a podcast which features conversations with Vermonters. Rumble Strip's radio documentary-style approach to storytelling gives Vermont Voices a platform to share stories about the Vermont experience. The following is a live recording of their panel discussion from September 20th, 2018. From Vermont Public Radio, this is Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. This is Rumble Strip. I'm Erica Heilman. Now, on to the show. Richard had also recommended that we kind of conduct this interview as if it were an interview like that we were recording. Um, so I'm going to give a little mic test here, especially since we just started. Erica, can you tell me what you had for breakfast this morning? I don't eat breakfast generally, oh, so I didn't today. That doesn't help with the tape. <laughs> <laughs> check, 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 check. We're good? Okay. Okay. Um, so we're just going to talk and I'm going to ask you a few questions and it's not all going to make it into the final. <laughs> so can you tell... Tell the room about Rumble Strip and what your show is all about. I think I started the show in 2005, maybe. And I wanted to make a show about all of the unimportant things that happened between the important things. So that was the, I mean, I say that now, I really didn't, when I started the show, I had no idea what it was about and I didn't have any plan. And, you know, you've come up with nice, charming, easy catchphrases as the years go along. But I started the show without any idea except that I wanted to do interviews and make stories. So it's it, there are documentaries, commentaries, and profiles. That's kind of what the show is. I try to put out a show every two weeks, but I more than not fail in that. So Angela is much more consistent in getting a show out. <laughs> Just once a month. <laughs> yeah, but it's on the money every time. It's true, it's true. Where did the idea come from, and was it your idea, Who, or was it a collaboration? Very glad you asked that, because uh, the idea for Brave Little State, which I'll explain and then talk about the, how we started it, um, so it's a, it's a people-powered show, and we, uh, every month, answer a question that's been submitted and voted on by our audience. Um, so our basic prompt to people is like, what do you want to know about Vermont, our region, its people? What do you want VPR to look into? We collect people's questions, and then um, this all happens online um, on our website. And then we put finalists up for a public vote. So again, we go back to the audience and say, okay, of these, which one do you really want us to answer? And, and then if you've asked the winning question, we invite you to talk to us about your curiosity and in an ideal world, help us report the episode as well. Come on interviews, you know, recommend sources. Um, and we have had question askers. We had one question asker who literally like traversed the state with us, Mike Brown, all over to learn about Vermont's aging sewer systems. He was our champion question asker. <laughs> and so I'm explaining all this and I, I want to be very clear that like, this is a completely stolen idea. We did not make this up. This model of reporting originated at WBEZ in Chicago. So um, several years ago, they had some really creative reporters who similarly wanted to engage with the audience and I think like make listeners allies and collaborators uh, as opposed to just like the end point recipient of all this work that kind of we're doing behind closed doors in the newsroom. And so they started this show called Curious City 
curiosity. Um, and, and it took me a while to get it. You, you got it right away, but for me it was like months. Um, and, uh, and, and it was a really, really successful show, uh, and it's grown and grown and grown at that station. And now the woman who kind of started it um, has this separate tech company that uh, basically supplies the technology that we use to collect our questions and run the voting rounds and basically is evangelizing for this model of journalism. It's now in hundreds of newsrooms across the country and internationally as well um, to really bring the audience into the center of the reporting process and give power to the audience as opposed to only regarding your audience as a product, as an endpoint. Um, and so we kind of took that mantle up in uh, 2016 and we've been making our shows once a month ever since. Did you have faith that Vermonters would come up with interesting questions? And what, I mean, what were you most anxious about in terms of the format? Did you believe it would work? Yes, 100%. Um, this isn't the first time that I've like told this joke, but I went into the sort of boardroom to pitch our idea. And I literally said like, VPR's audience is an engine that's waiting to be started. You know, like, like our audience- Did you think of that in advance or did you come up with that in the boardroom? I mean, unfortunately, I probably thought of it in advance and like had it in my pocket. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we had seen some like early success when we experimented with this. So before we launched Brave Little State, we would do these, I would run these like little test projects with that same model. Um, so for example, when Bernie Sanders was running for president and we were sending reporters to the Iowa caucus, uh, I wanted to know, like, what, did, what does our audience want us to do while we're there? We're sending three staffers, like, what do people want to know? And so we put a call out, this was before Brave Little State, and it, most people just wanted to know, like, how do the Iowa caucuses work? Um, and so we made, like, a video with Legos explaining how they work, and it went, like, viral as far as viral videos go from VPR. Um, and um, that was sort of like proof of concept that when we do it this way, um, and when we like look to our audience, we has, we're more likely to serve a need that they have, right. as opposed to trying to guess what they're wondering about. Right. Did you, you started the show with Alex Keefe, so it was a yes. partnership. Yes. Was there anything in, and so I, and I'd started mine by myself in my bedroom. So when you were starting with somebody else, were there tension points about what your vision was or was it, and also you come to understand that you work differently. There must've mm -hmm. been those points where you thought, where your, you know, your inclinations are different. Yeah. I, um, so, right. So Alex Keefe, well, he had come from WBEZ, he had worked on Curious City. And so in a way I was learning a lot from him about how things can work, how the show can sound. Um, I will say, I think his style was like a, a little bit um, jaunty and like uh, maybe a little campy in the beginning. And so, and I miss that actually about those early episodes. There was this playfulness that he brought that like now and it's just me, like I feel like I get pretty serious. Um, so I uh, try to keep that spirit of Al with me. Right. Um, but now you're asking so many great questions. I want to ask. Well, these are all questions, questions that I wanted to know the answers to. So, um, well, so yeah. so I've got, talked through like our process for choosing our show topics. Right. How do you determine what your next episode is going to be? I usually have a list of things that I want to do, and so I I don't really have a very good answer to that because it's random. So. Um, I, there are certain subjects that I'm attracted to that I want to explore, issues in Vermont that are, that's, that I want to 
explore or dig into. So um, there's that category. And so then I'll say, well, who do I need to talk to in order to do that? So defense attorneys, or you know, it was the whole Jeff's, the Jeff Sessions, be the beginning of his tenure, I was interested in talking to um, defense attorneys about what this new age would look like. So I came up with a list of defense attorneys who I knew were really good talkers and I liked. And I went and, and, and interviewed them and the interviews were spectacularly bad. I mean, we were talking about this in the interview class, about being dumb, about being, a, being free, to feel dumb? I don't think I asked a question. I said, oh, really? <laughs> so what, what do you, what does that mean? I mean, I, there was no, not one articulate question that I asked these attorneys, but they guided me and then finally the themes emerged and then it became clear what the story wanted to be. So my, I feel like my shows, I don't really know what it is when I start and then it figures itself out in the edit. That's how it works. So, but I interview people who I am inherently interested in. Um, people say, you gotta talk to my brother, John, and that sometimes yields interesting interviews. Um, so it's, it's pretty random, but I seem to always have a list of things I want to do. I think I'm more interested now, or I am interested in working on series in addition to working on one-off shows um, as, I, as I go along. So when you are just recommended someone, like if some friend's brother or whatever, and um, you go to talk to this person, do, are, are there times when you're going in, into an interview where you literally don't know anything about the person? No, and I don't just interview John at somebody's, I mean, I will have to learn more about John. I won't commit to John <laughs> until I've learned more about John, because I don't want to disappoint John. Everybody's interesting to talk to, not everybody, not the, the tape that, it, that one gathers from an interview is more often than not lending itself to a show. So that was a long way of saying most people are not great interviews. But everybody thinks their mother would be a great interview. So you have to kind of figure out, well, what do you mean about like, why John? And kind of ask some questions and then maybe call John and just talk to John for a while. And then you get us. And sometimes you just know. Well, I was working with you and we always working on your show. Mm -hmm. And this was a show about the kingdom, the Northeast kingdom. And I was at a store and somebody said, oh, you got to talk to Carl. And it was just the tone of their voice. I was like, clearly I do need to talk to Carl. And, I, and they were right. And I knew they would be right. It was absolutely obvious that they were going to be right. So what do you, when you talk, when, in the trajectory of the making of the show, I keep asking questions about your emotional state. And I don't really mean to do that, but I really want to know when you feel like, oh my God, this is never going to work. Is it, is it a familiar arc or trajectory of your experience in production? Yeah, definitely. Um, or just like a deep insecurity that we are not going to do the question justice oh. or we're not going to, you know, provide a sufficient answer. Or honestly, like, I think, okay, so in our, sh in our show, in our scripts, uh, we write everything in Google Docs and we use like different headers for who's writing what section and here's the intro, here's the closing credits. And more often than not, we have a... Um, a segment towards the beginning of the episode that we have nicknamed the John Oliver. Do people watch John Oliver? Yeah. Some? Okay, so I think he does a really, really good job when he takes on like huge topics of being very, very clear about what he is and isn't covering in that mm -hmm. piece. So he'll do a segment about like 
charter schools. A lot of people have really strong opinions about charter schools. And like, if you're going to do a segment, you're going to bet that a lot of people will be really upset with you if you don't talk about this or that. And so he takes like just 20 seconds to say, look, this isn't about the efficacy of charter schools, whether or not kids get a better, better education there or worse. It's just about like the money. And just like with one fell swoop, he heads off all of these critics at the past who would say, you forgot, you forgot about this really important part of the story. And often with Brave Little State questions, like for whatever reason, the questions that Vermonters have and vote on are like really big questions. Like mm. why is Vermont so white, you know? Um, or what's it like to be a migrant worker in Vermont? And we can't possibly like confidently say, well, here's the answer to that question. We can just do our, uh, the best job possible. Um, and so framing that and, and sort of like opening up our reasoning, our rationale as to why we're talking about this or that, or here's the structure of this episode. I spend a lot of time thinking about that because I want to be sure that no one's disappointed after they've listened right. and felt like, well, this isn't what I signed up for. Right. Um, but to answer your question more clearly, like it's a, it's a monthly podcast and we work on stuff for like six, four to six weeks each episode. And up until week, like you know, one week away from production, I'm questioning like, do we have an episode here? Right. So it's until it's sort of all written and you've heard a rough mix, it's a, yeah, it's an emotional process. And the process of, you, there's a lot of writing in your show. So where do you do that writing and at what stage in the process do you do that writing? And I just want to know what it's like to do that writing because mm. it's pretty, it's pretty, it's, it's hefty. In each show, there's a lot of uh, beautiful writing. Oh, and I you. wonder where that happens. That happens, it probably starts like through two to two and a half weeks before we, we release the episode. Um, and so I don't want to like get too bogged down in process, but you go out, you, well, you get the question, you talk about how you're going to answer it. You talk to the question asker, get their input, and then you kind of break for a couple weeks with whoever you're working on. Everybody goes out and reports. And then when, when you've worked with us, for example, you know, we come back and we do what's called a macro edit where people just play some tape, we talk about what sounds good, we talk about what we're pulled towards, and then we write a rough structure. Then we kind of break for another week, write the episode, and then we spend, um, yeah, kind of like a week-ish editing and then a week producing. Right. Um, so the writing, it's, it's happening intensely for, I would say, two weeks. And then all of that time, that was when I, when I worked with Angela on a show, it was so nice to be in a, to be in a room with three people you know, to be in a room talking with, with people about um, the show because that, that, at that stage for me, I'm alone and I'm at, in my house and with my cat. And so there's no one to say, I mean, there are a few people that I will call and who will listen to, to the, the tape and tell me if I'm crazy or help me or just, you know, just share in the pain of that chapter of the production. They will, they will, um, join me in that but um it's really nice to be able to be more than the sum of your parts with a team mm. and so what are your editing or self-editing practices like it's different if a show is one a profile with one person um, a very different approach than if it's many people in a show generally i find myself always wanting to take me out or that's always my inclination is to strip me out and, and not all interviews and not all tape lends itself to this. Sometimes that back and forth is necessary for dynamic. In other words, if you and I are having a conversation, um, and I just did the spiel, I apologize to all of you, but if you and I are having a conversation, there are two things that are happening. 
we're talking about basketball and that's what we're talking about and that's interesting or not to whoever but the other thing that's happening that's as important and sometimes more is what's happening between us and so you're getting to know me i'm getting to know you and there's a way in which we are figuring each other out and all of that's going in here right so in a, in a cocktail party it's the same thing you're talking to somebody and you're talking with them it's as important uh, the way we feel about each other, it, it, that's as important as content. And all of that gets translated into the microphone. So sometimes a show, that dynamic between you and me is part of the show uh, because it's interesting, because something's happening. So for instance, those Susan shows, we have a, a long, complicated rapport, right? We're old friends. And so the, the bounce between us is part of what the show is about. And then sometimes with a show, um, you're still getting, there's an interesting rapport, but what's more interesting is you, and I want to fall into you, and so I want to take me out, and in place of me, there might be a pause, um, there might be a pause, but really I just want to disappear, and I just want it to be this strange journey into your world for a while. So, and I don't know what it's going to be until I sit with the tape and I think uh, it's going to be probably one or the other, but it's, it's not clear until I've done the interview. Mm -hmm. When I have been in edits with you for the, so Erica sometimes will like contribute to Brave Little State and so we get to do edits together. Um, and A, even as a listener, I'm always really attuned to the like musicality of your show and the way that you use music as a device. And also too, like in edits with you, I notice that you're really attuned just to the rhythm of your speakers. Are you often kind of pacing them very intentionally or is that just their natural speech that you are drawing out? It depends on the tape and it depends on where in the story it is, but there is punctuation that has to happen or that is lovely to have happen in a conversation, in, in an edit, there are all kinds of if, ands, and buts that are getting moved around. This is true for, for both right. of us. So, you know, every time I'm, I'm logging tape, I'm noting all the buts and all the ands and all the ums, you know, because um is really, is, a, is key, right? Because those are connector phrases, those are connector sounds. So he's talking about apples, and then he's talking about baseball, and I need a bridge, right? Because I want to take me out, and I'm right here. So I need to find a moment, or, so I need a word, I need a but or an and or a so, and so I'm connecting that way. Or he's talking about apples, and I just want to pause, because I want you to give you a chance to just think about the apples before we go into baseball, so I might, so I have to find a way to, to, to punctuate a, an end and maybe bring up the sound, and then we're into baseball. So that can mean slowing him down, mm -hmm. and that's not always possible, but it can just be a beat that, and that, that finishes something that your ear knows, okay, I can rest, and then I'm ready to move on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How much of that are you doing when you're editing people up against each other like that? Mm -hmm. How are you, how much of that kind of micro-editing are you doing? I, a good bit, although it's actually something I feel like I haven't been attuned to very much until recently like for whatever reason i'll end up listening back to an old episode and it will be very painful just to hear the mix not the content not what people are saying but like the cuts between two voices are so tight and it's like what am i rushing through uh. um and and i admire about your mixes is there's so much breathing room um and i'll just get a 
plug in for this other VPR project that we're doing called Jolted, um, which is a five-part podcast that we are almost done releasing um, about a school shooting that didn't happen in Vermont and then the kind of political, legal fallout from that case. Um, and I have been trying really hard as kind of a somewhat of an editor role in that project to bring more breathing room into the mixes yeah. because it's a that show in particular is really informationally dense and there we're also meeting a lot of different speakers as opposed to staying with one speaker and so you need to be sure that you're giving people room just to process either the weight of what some one single person is saying or to be able to hold multiple ideas at the same time or make that transition with you um, so it's something i've been thinking about more i hear it i, I hear yeah, it in the nice. edit yeah cool how about questions so that we are talking about what you want us to talk about Okay, so the question was, how have we changed making the podcast, and then what is our creative process like? I have an answer to that. Or, I mean, I have an answer to a question. I'll answer a question, whether it's yours or not. <laughs> um, I feel like the, the, in the beginning, and this is the thing for people who are students, right, who are thinking, oh, maybe I want to do that. Or a lot of people say, I'm going to make a podcast, or I want to make a podcast. The, the only difference between me and you, if you want to make a podcast, is that, is that I'm making one, and you're not. That's it. That's, that's it. That's the only difference. And the only thing you can be sure of is that you'll be really bad at first. And you'll be bad for quite a while. And then you'll get better. It's like, uh, it's, it's like science. It, you will improve. And so I think that over time, every single time that I made a show in the beginning, I was certain I wouldn't finish, that I couldn't finish, and that nobody would want to hear it. And the religion part is you, 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 you do it anyway even though you're certain you can't and you're certain nobody wants to listen to it, there's, you, you say, but I'm going to. And that's the thing. You do it over and over and over and over again. That's, that's to me, that's, that's the strength, right? And you will get better. So it's humility. Being bad is, you know, and knowing you're bad, there's some humility in that. But being, loving it enough that you want to keep going and that you can start and finish and start and finish and start and finish. And for some reason, that's so mysterious and hard, but it's really simple. Yeah, humility and hubris. <laughs> right, right. Um, so I don't, I don't know really how I changed. I, and I, I, don't, I think that probably the only reason I'm still doing this work is that I don't really like scru scrutinize my life choices very intensely. Um, I just sort of like do the th do whatever happens to be there at the moment. Um, and I say yes to a lot of things. That was a big way that I was able to just get into the work that I do. It's just whatever random opportunities were presenting themselves, yes. Um, but I think the one of the biggest challenges I had early on, uh, and I was filing just more like radio news reports for local stations and so forth, um, and a lot of like women, I don't know if you have had this experience, Erica, but like women just get their voices criticized, like the, huh. the sounds of our voice, right? So maybe you have up talk or maybe you have, do people know what vocal fry is? Yeah. When your voice goes yeah. like, yeah. Um, and like one of the earliest pieces of feedback I got uh, when I was just getting started was like, your voice sounds really dull. Like it sounds like you're barely alive. Somebody's literally <laughs> said that to me. And I was like, what do, I'm very alive, what do you mean? Um, and a lot, like there's, so, there's this whole other like uh, companion that you have in the creative process and it's like your 
body. You don't really think about it that way. Like I'm a very cerebral person. It's just like whatever I'm writing and then I need to read it out loud. And I think just going through the process of like getting comfortable with how I sound um, has mm -hmm. been a big change. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure, and I've had people even say like, your voice has come so far. And I think mm -hmm. it's just like, they've gotten used to it because it's only become like more itself. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I used to spend time sort of like fretting about that. Mm -hmm. And now it's a, a non-issue. Well, it's very hard to sit in a closet. I mean, a studio, which is very much like a closet. In my case, it's my underwear. I'm looking at, I'm reading, trying to read, you know, naturally. Like, hey, welcome to Rumble Strip. And it's my underwear drawer. So it's just making that work or making that sound natural is takes, that's a learning curve. And it's, it's again, something you won't be good at and you'll get better at. It's just, is talking with, to an audience that you can't see. Uh, is there a specific, or is there a, a particular podcast that inspired you to start a podcast? That would be no. I, when I started my podcast, it was really early days. It was before Serial. <laughs> so it's just to put it in, there's, you know, before and after Serial. I w started the podcast, um, I was an independent radio producer. I wasn't producing as much as I wanted. And I wanted to force myself to produce more off. I was feeling shame at not producing as much as I wanted to. And so podcasting opens the door. It takes away the, the station manager. You can do it if you want to. And so I decided to just start it. And then it had its own momentum. For me, I mean, it sounds cliched, but it's true. And it also wasn't a podcast originally. It was just a radio show, which is This American Life. Um, and I just have always loved just how real everyone on that show sounds. And I also, um, when I was just getting started, like right out of college, trying to figure out how to make radio and how to make a career out of making radio, Ira Glass has like basically an entire like self-help arm of his internet presence where he makes these like YouTube videos that are just like pep talks for people who are doing creative work and feeling discouraged. Um, and also just tips for like how to shape your stories and all these things. So he was a, a little bit of just my like YouTube guru um, as a creator as, at the same time that I was a fan of the show. Okay, question was, how do we get the people we're interviewing to feel comfortable with the questions we're asking and how do we get them to open up more? Um, okay, so in, also in the, were you in the earlier writing class? So you've heard me say this, I'll just quickly say it for the group, but um, definitely like not being afraid to ask really dumb questions um, with, so and especially when you know, you're asking people about hard topics, even if they're not personal, um, just sort of be presenting yourself as not a threat in, mm -hmm. in a certain way. You still want people to respect you intellectually, but being, um, just leaving, sp I'm not answering this question. Yeah, no, well, no, no, but I was keep going. About, it's fine. Yeah, just not being afraid to ask dumb questions, basically. And I think when you do that, it kind of disarms people because they're like, oh, this is relaxed, you know? Right. Um, and also trying to ask really short questions we talked mm -hmm. about. Um, what are some of your techniques? Um, uh, well, there are techniques, and then there's something that's bigger than it. There's, there are techniques for doing that, tricks, right? And then there is something bigger than that that's happening when you're doing an interview with somebody. Some of the techniques are, you know, you don't ask somebody how their grandmother died in your first 30 seconds, right? I want to establish rapport with you. 
what what you need to understand right away is that you're the expert of the interview. I'm here to find out what you already know. There's no test here um, because you're already expert. I'm just trying to figure out. I want you to teach me how you got here. That's and so big open questions to start with to get them used to the fact there's a mic in their face, and then then there's something more alchemical that that's possible with with a microphone in the room because we and I said that we were having a conversation and there's no mic and that can be really interesting but this is galvanizing there's something about this raises the stakes it goes with when there's when there's a mic in the room so you have to work doubly hard to take care of the person because you got to work them down from the fact of the microphone but then the fact of the microphone can take us to some country we've never been before I don't know why that is. It's magic. Um, but, and then once you've gotten them comfortable, so again, it's, it's, they, if you keep eye contact and you really are curious, sometimes that's work, right? But if you really are hanging on to what the person is saying, they feel that and that's comforting, right? But then, it, then your job is to introduce discomfort, right? So I, I know you trust me. I know we're here. I know it's okay. And now I might just, not, not talk for a minute or just not have a next question because then I want to go somewhere new with you where we, we don't know where we are anymore because that's a whole different sound, you know, so that there's something even beyond the comfort. And you're not saying, what do I want to know? Because you want to go away with good tape. That's the job, right? So you always have to be greedy about that, you know? My job is to fall in love with you. And I don't care if I agree with you or not. If you are... Uh, I'm not going to argue with you. My job is to find, to find a way to travel with you to arrive to where you are and how you got there. So you are, uh, you know, this is my example before, you're a neo-Nazi. I don't ag have to agree with you. I don't like your views, but I'm fascinated to know how you got there. And because there's some place that it's, there's, it's a human story. It's a human story how you got there. So we tease it apart and we walk forward and we, my, I want to find you. That's what I want. I want to find you because that's the bridge. And that's, that's why the show, that's the point of the show, I think, is to, is to, if I, I can't judge you and do a good interview at the same time. Um, I don't, I don't know if falling in love is necessarily what, the way that uh, BLS approaches are, subjects and and as a somewhat of like a news podcast you know we do need to i think uh, approach things with a little bit more like journalistic dispassion than maybe you have in some of your stuff erica but it's the same principle of not not having a strong opinion about some someone that you're going to speak to and for the episodes that we have taken on where there is kind of like a central uh, disagreement or there are multiple sides it's, it's the same treatment to right. people on all sides of the argument. Um, and, and the goal is just to have a, a respectful and like lucid conversation so that you can truly understand the other, right. that, that person's point of view and communicate it to your audience as best you can. Um, so it, there's, there's no personal opinion involved. Okay, so the question is, do we go in with a set of questions and know what we want to ask, or do we just let the interview flow organically? Erica? Yeah, I, both. 
you know, you have a series of, you've, you've spent time really thinking about why, what do I want to know from, you know, a, a, somebody who works at a bowling alley. Like, I wonder what that's like. Imagining your way into that person's reality. You know, bowling, bowling, like what's it, what's it like? What's the night shift like? You know, all these things that you're wondering, you go through a wondering stage. And then, but you don't go in and say, Tell, what is it like when you, you know, it's a conversation and you are always ready to throw it out the window and say, oh my God, we're actually going to talk about squirrels. He's a squirrel expert. You follow it, but yeah, you go in with a series of inquiry. This is very different. This, your, uh, you know, what you need to know is more specific, but it's also gets, it, it, it expands as the show is going along and getting produced, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, I mean, certainly prepare sort of a list of questions that you know you want to touch on with people, but be open to whatever those tangents might be. Um, and so I went last year to this radio maker, audio maker conference called Third Coast. Does, has anybody ever heard of it? It's actually where I met you for the first time. Oh, is that right? Yeah, a long time ago. And um, it is uh, kind of like a who's who in the radio world. And there were some people there who make The Daily, which is the daily news podcast from the New York Times. And they did this whole session on how they make their show, which is an incredible production that literally comes out five days a week. And I think everyone is wondering, like, how the H do these people do this? And so they kind of blew my mind with their explanation of how they bring narrative to their stories. How many people listen to The Daily? Okay, okay, so I won't dwell on this too much. But basically, like, they kind of shape their narrative ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And they have this luxury because oftentimes they're reporting on t stories that New York Times reporters have already done. And like, there's already a print piece, but now it's their job to present it as an audio piece. So they kind of, they already know what they need in some ways. But they really, really deliberately ask their questions and they put this big slide up with like 40 questions for their episode about the NRA and um, they very intentionally also like bury the lead of their own show so they start out and you know the more you listen to the show you more the more you see this pattern they start out with really general getting to know you questions with the interviewer which is great because you can put that person at ease and then they work towards this like particular narrative reveal and then they go through the analysis of that narrative reveal and for me like as someone who kind of is a little bit all over the place in my interviews knowing that like i can just rearrange all this later um it was really inspiring to see that intention not just in what the questions are but what the order of them is and i mm -hmm. and i think bringing that kind of forethought can be helpful in certain ways. The other thing too that um, the question that I find is often the best question of almost every interview I do is, is there anything I didn't ask you yeah. about? And usually the answer is, you know, no, but I will just say that. Mm -hmm. And then they launch into the best tape of the entire interview. So leaving space, like Eric has said, leaving silence or just leaving space for people to, to kind of riff is a great thing to put on your list. How do, how do you manage to stay ruthless about the cuts? Yes. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not attached to... I'm always really um, anxious to cut myself out, so that's not hard. But figuring out... Um, you know, there's some distance between this is what I really loved, there's, there's me and you together talking, and then there's me and you as, as this as tape, and f having to reevaluate what's substantive... What do I love here... It might be different from what I experienced in the room with you. Um, how you get, how you, 
it's painful. It's painful because it's for me. It's like sculpting. It's just this big block, and I'm shaving it and carving it and, and down. And then I realize I love this part, but it doesn't belong. I just have to get rid of it. Um, so I guess it's just practice and pain, or practice in pain, <laughs> something like that. You just, you know, um, and it's very intuitive, you know, like where, where, what do I, or here he's talking about bowling, and then there's something about the way that it lands, that that tape about the birds, it just wants to go there. It just sounds good together, or it becomes more than the sum of its parts when those two things are up against each other. So it's like music too. It's, it's a little bit like making music. How does it sound? How does it sound in addition to what does it mean? What's the arc of the sound of this whole thing? I want it to be slow here. I want it to speed up here, you know? So it's all of these elements. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, basically what we're often asking ourselves is like, where is it boring? Where does it drag? Right. Um, and that's what we cut. And if there's really important information held in those bites or whatever, like we find a way to work that in elsewhere. Um, but like you're, Eric was saying, like, it's, it needs to sound compelling for people to want to keep listening. Um, so balancing the, the information that you need to get across with the sort of experience of the listener. And the thing is too, when you're working on something that's um, more information dense um, and you're coming to it as a, you're new to this too, this topic of, you know, I'm, more, I'm doing a series about mental health care in the state. And so there, there, I mean, it's a very big subject. It's a ridiculous subject. It's huge, right? But there are all these policy things and you have to spend a lot of time um, figuring out what can I take out? Because I, it, it's for my mom, right? This is for my mom and I want my mom to understand, I want her to get to the nut of it and if there's too much on it, she's not going to find the nut. So I have to figure, it takes a long time to figure out what that is. And you think, oh my God, but we have to include this or they won't understand that. But very often you don't. Very often you can take this off. I fear that I pare down too much. Frankly, I feel like that's a problem of mine. So the question was, when we're conducting interviews, are we thinking about our body language and our responses or are we sort of, is it just more habitual for us? Okay. Um, I think probably at this point it's a little bit more habit. Um, one thing we talked about briefly in the other class, and this is really important for radio, is um, listening silently. Yeah. Um, because if you're saying something really fascinating, the sort of human inclination is to like verbally affirm what you're saying as interesting. So being like, mm-hmm, yep. No way. Yes. Oh my gosh, no really, way. oh, fascinating. And that ruins your tape. So you need to give other visual cues that you're engaged. So like eye contact, critical. I do a lot of just like quiet nodding and so forth. And then selectively choosing where you're gonna jump in for whatever like creative reason you might want to have that interplay. Um, but I also do probably half of my interviews uh, like over the phone, people literally on the phone or in a different studio. Um, and so there is no body language. Um, and it's really a matter of just like the, the warm up kind of banter that you have with the person and then mixing in your personal reactions and affirmations between your questions. And it, it's totally possible to like build a rapport even if you're just on the phone. And you know, you've been to a party, you know, so you, the only difference between if you're in a, you know, doing a project that where it, suddenly there's a microphone, You've been to a party where you've had to, where you're meeting somebody for the first time and you're doing that dance of getting comfortable. It's just that plus 
a microphone, which doesn't mean that there's not going to be chatter in your head saying, I don't look good, or that was a stupid question, or I'm bored, oh my God, I'm so bored, this is so boring. There's all kinds of yeah, yeah, yeah that's going on that you just have to move through, just let it go, it's going to be there. It, it is weird, this sort of kabuki, you are in this weird circumstance of holding a mic in somebody's face, but you also are human and you know how to do it. You know how to sit comfortably with a person. You also know how, after you're comfortable, to be a little uncomfortable and that it's okay, you know, that, that they can handle it. It's just all your own practicing bringing an, an added element into it, I think. So, so the question is, when, when you lose your co-host, what do you do? Um, so I lost my co-host to darn WBEZ in Chicago. Um, and I don't know, I just sort of like kept, I knew I kept wanting to make the show and uh, now like host it by myself. But if there ever is a chance to like host it with somebody else and the chemistry is right, um, you know, open to that. Uh, I think it's just a matter of like, you know, figuring out if it's something that you still want to do um, and, and what kind of sound you want it to have. Um, and there's still a way to make it dynamic, even if you're sitting by yourself at a mic <laughs> or having a banter with your guests, as, it, mm -hmm. as an example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't have a host, so I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> but I, I mean, I think you should just you know, as as you said, it, it developed a different sound. I mean, it. I suppose if you have a co-host and the whole show is you talking to each other, that's a problem. <laughs> but if it's not that, then it just it just evolves into a different sound, a sound that's more, and you evolve as a. I imagine that if you were a, your own host, you would evolve and become something you very different tonally than you were before. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you all. Thank you for listening to Mud Season, presented by the Center for Research on Vermont. This week's episode is titled Podcast Storytelling, Stories from Vermont. Special thanks to Angela Evansy and Erica Heilman for sharing their knowledge and experiences with podcasting in Vermont. If you are studying Vermont, either as a profession or as a hobby, consider applying for membership to the Center for Research on Vermont. It costs nothing and will help you keep up to date with the latest Vermont news and research, as well as with future podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook or on Twitter and Instagram under CRVT underscore. If you know of a story that should be featured on our show, please contact us. You can reach us at crvt at uvm.edu. Thanks for listening.